Hi, everyone. Welcome to Empowered Expression, my podcast. I have the most amazing guest today to talk to and to share with you. Her name is Michelle Lee. I'm going to put my glasses on because I've got all these. She's got the most fabulous introduction ever. So not only is she the woman who rode two oceans solo, nonstop and unassisted, she's the most amazing woman who has done, um, conquered so many things for herself and women in the world. She's to do something like that, you've got to be in the top physical fitness, top mental fitness, top emotional fitness. Um, she's smashed world records. She's the first woman in the world to row the Pacific Ocean nonstop, and she survived more than 300 days alone on board. So please welcome Michelle Lee to talk to us today. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank awesome. you so much. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Susie. You are you just... um um blown away that uh at your age for doing what you did and I'm looking at I'm reading stuff about rowing and you kind of you know you've done triathlons and you conquered triathlons I, you know, the thing that I thought about when I was reading about you is god she must have really strong knees <laughs> and then you, you you read a book about rowing and it inspired you so much to to not just learn how to row but to learn how to build a boat to learn how to conquer the sport and you decided to drop in and do the ocean, not just like a little river for something, you know. What was what was your inspiration for doing that? You do mention that you you uh, came out of a relationship and having done that myself out of a 30-year marriage, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing things for myself now that I didn't do then. So I'd love to hear your story. What was your inspiration to be a rower apart from the book? Yeah, it was as simple as that. It was, uh, you know, I read the book called Rowing the Atlantic and it uh, plagued me so consistently and persistently for two years that I thought if I don't do this, I'm going to die wondering. So I was not a rower, not an Olympian, not elite, not an athlete, but uh, I wanted what that girl had. So thanks, Ross Savage. <laughs> and everyone, just be careful what you read. I, I issue a warning now. Um, because, you know, she just uh, had everything that could go wrong went wrong so it wasn't a story of you know rainbows and butterflies and you know everything's you know peachy peachy out there uh, but she overcame everything and that's what I got out of it and I just thought man every time she got knocked out I thought I was like literally doing a fist pump like you go girl you know um, and I thought man I want that so I'm not the most creative or imaginative person in the world. So I thought, I'll just copy you. And um, the fact that I was not a rower, completely irrelevant. I was not brought up an adventurer or uh, on the ocean. Um, but uh, all as I knew was I loved the ocean. Um, I, I am drawn to it naturally. Uh, I love adventure. I love freedom. So, you know, I was ticking all these boxes and I just thought, now all I've got to do is get a boat. Well, that was not that easy. There were none for sale in Australia. They're very, you know, ocean rowing boats are a specifically designed vessel. Uh, so, you know, that then led me down the path of building my own boat. Um, so, you know, you, you're sort of turning your hand from massage therapist to now boat builder. <laughs> and I'm sure I was a, a pain in their butt, you know, but Every weekend I'd turn up with my overalls on and I'm like, all right, what am I going to do today? You know, sanding, feathering, fairing, grinding, you name it. Uh, and I know that boat intimately. I know every single bulkhead. I know every space under that deck, um, which gave me so much confidence in my vessel and also 
it got me on the tools, you know, so I got familiar with using the epoxies and, and, you know, the material, uh, I realized how strong my boat is through doing that boat build and, you know, just watching how the materials set and then, you know, the dude making my boat, he say, try and break it, you know, so we do everything he could to break the panel. So that's how, you know, I know how strong carbon fiber is, you know, and it's, you know, uh, what goes on beneath there. It, it's uh, part of, for me, it was essential to know that boat that well when you're stuck out there in the middle of an ocean and you got no one else to rely on except yourself. That's it. You don't put your hand up and, you know, someone just comes to your aid. Um, so it was critical for me to get involved at the root, you know, level. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You, to, know, to have that knowledge that you can build your own boat, that you know how it works, that you know any faults in it, if there are any weaknesses and to know that that material is going to withstand hitting those waves or anything else that can't, that get thrown at it in the ocean that, you know, unless you've been out there, you don't really know. I mean, you know, the Titanic sank, didn't it? And you're in a lot smaller boat. Uh, that's really, you know, I used to be a massage therapist as well for years and I love using tools. I'm exceptionally handy and, and that's another thing we have in common, see. Uh, what I what I my relationship with my um, my husband years and years ago he came with an iron and I came with a toolkit so you know it was, um, I really I understand <laughs> wanting to get the power of getting on the tools and using the tools and knowing how your all your epoxies and your resins and everything work and knowing the strength um, makes absolute perfect sense to me if you're going to set out somewhere by yourself you've you've got to have faith in your vessel you know yeah. but what made you <laughs> decide to go and do this what did you need to overcome or what did you need to prove to yourself for yourself that you needed to do this oh yeah i'm fascinated with human potential i am absolutely fascinated with our limits and uh which means you have to push boundaries there's no way that you're going to become familiar with uh, what you're capable of when you stay in the confines of monday to friday nine to five um, you have no idea what you're capable of. And, uh, you know, it, it started small, you know, I, I didn't just wake up and say, I'm going to row an ocean. You know, it started with the triathlon, started with the hiking and, you know, one thing leads to another. Of course, you know, you always want a little bit bigger, a little bit better because you are constantly looking for new ground. You're constantly, it's addictive. So there's another warning, everybody. Uh, it is addictive. Once you start, you just want to know what else you can do. You think, oh, well, if I can do that. Well, what else is there? You know, what have I left in the tank? So um, that's what I'm fascinated by and I'm driven by that, you know, to row the Pacific Ocean. Um, I found myself on, you know, halfway through the Atlantic row uh, saying things like, hmm, now if I was to row another ocean and, you know, I'd started making a list of the things I would do differently, you know, with lessons learned and things that you couldn't possibly know till you're thrown in the deep end and you're out there. So even you know, refining and tweaking my boat, simplifying systems. So I was already making those lists when I was, you know, rowing the Atlantic. So as soon as I made the decision uh, to row the Pacific, I, I was just like, boom, um, I had my list, I had my objectives, uh, I was motivated by rowing for freedom. You know, as soon as we went into lockdown, I literally went into meltdown and uh, I, I couldn't grasp or accept that we were being locked up. I'm not even sick, you know, like I'm 
it was just so ludicrous and stupid uh, to me in my head. Um, so I used and used all that energy and that uh, it fueled me really to uh, get off my ass and do something about it. I could have sat around whinging. I could have stayed locked up. But no, I went off and did my boat. I had things to do. So, you know, I um, I used it as fuel and motivation. It was like the firecracker up my ass to uh, <laughs> spark action. And, uh, you know, I think Bob Proctor, he says, use your, dissatis- your dissatisfied state to get creative. And, and being in that state of dissatisfaction can be your most empowering, most motivating fuel, you know, and that's what I think I did. Oh, that's just, that's amazing. I, I, Bob Proctor has changed the lives of so many, haven't, hasn't he, around the world? And I know you listen to Joe Dispenza as well, who I love listening to. And I even looked at the Silver Method, which is another um, motivational uh, and empowering mindset, uh, not a course, it's more a way of life, really that we can learn about um, and, but you have to, I've, I've met people who have done lots of courses and, but they don't change their lives, you know? And I meet people who yeah. like, you were alone on the ice for a really long time, months and like eight months or something, wasn't it? Uh, and I've, I met people that can't even um, stay alone for like a, a week, you know, they've got to be in contact with people. They've got to be around people and they really, do need to spend time with themselves, you know. I'm really enjoying spending time by myself with myself in England and I find that, and you probably found this on a boat, uh, you, when you spend time by yourself and you open yourself up to the universe and you open yourself up to your mind, that's when you do your best thinking. Mind you, you were oh, yeah. you know, you put yourself into a physical place where you really had to really think about lots of things. How did you, I looked at, um, like I said, I've looked at lots of things um, over the last week that you've been doing, which is just, I hadn't heard of you before. We were introduced um, by a mutual acquaintance, Ray. Thank you, Ray. Um, yeah, thank you. I, and I love it that um, we were talking earlier about how sometimes people just come into your lives um, and you've got to talk to them. You've got to find out about them. You've got to see what, well, I do. And you obviously do. You've got to make, see what makes them tick, you know, because I feel that we all inspire each other on this journey of life that we're on, you know, and to, to read that you just decided that you, you know, but you obviously conquered, you conquered, um, triathlons, you conquered ro- um, running, you knew that you had physical fitness that was, um, I would say not of, uh, the same as other um, 40 something year old women. Uh, Cause as we both know, um, people sometimes use aging as an excuse to stop things. Whereas really, uh, and my whole ethos in life is age is just a number. It doesn't stop you doing anything. Uh, and when we do hold ourselves back and we use that as an excuse, it can just stop us from doing everything. And if we take the age completely out of the picture, um, we can do whatever we want, actually. Uh, the only thing is, you know, if we have physical limitations, then we can work on them, can't we? So you proved you were physically fit. Now you nailed running. You nailed, nailed the triathlete. You loved the ocean. Then you decided to get in and um, and row. So did you wait till, like, lockdown was over? Because Sydney was, I'm in the Gold Coast, so Sydney was a bit stricter. 
well, there was Melbourne, then there was Sydney that were pretty strict, and then we were pretty lax, really. Did you wait till like lockdown was over, built your boat, and then went, I'm out of here, and got in the water? Uh, I, I just pretty much maintained my life um, during everything. I, I just did what I had to do. And, you know, I don't have a TV, I don't read a newspaper, I don't listen to a radio. So I, I just could pretend like I didn't know. What do you mean? Huh? What? Oh, <laughs> I could goodness. have just pulled ignorance. Um, so, you know, I, I really did just go about my life and um, still trained, uh, you know, built the boat, crossed uh, postcodes uh, regularly to get to the boat, you know, because uh, sitting around and, use, you know, that was valuable time that I, I just couldn't see the sense. Okay, they, they took my work off me. You yeah, know, I couldn't yeah. work. Uh, all all three streams of income were gone, and I thought, nah, fuck you. I'm I've got other shit to do now. You're not stopping me from doing this because it really made you analyze what other things that mean the most to you. And um, so, if you want to look for silver linings, for many it was I went inwards and I just said, oh my god, freedom and adventure. They are it. That's what I'm about. That's you know. If you take that away from me, I might as well just finish it. You know what I mean? So it was um, part of my uh, mental coping mechanism was to just be normal and go about my business uh, and to not comply with something that didn't make sense. Uh, I trust my immune system, all of this sort of stuff, you know. So it really challenged me to step up and to stand in my convictions, you know, stand strong in my conviction. Uh, and be the salmon swimming upstream. Um, so, you know, yes, it would have been easier just to comply with stepping in line, get the the jab and all that sort of stuff. Yes, life would have been a lot easier. But uh, I've got to live with myself for the rest of my life. And um, I was like, no. It, it just felt so vibrationally wrong. It was a vibration. I felt at the thought of, of complying, I felt physically ill. So... I can't betray that, you know, our, our gut feeling, gut instinct, our intuition, um, whatever you want to call it, uh, to me, you have to honour it because it protects you. It's never wrong, never, ever wrong. Um, and I had to honour it and, you know. So so basically it became Row for Freedom and um, uh it was a lesson, there are many lessons learned along the way, you know, you just sort of sat back and watched human behaviour and uh, how easily manipulated everybody is. But I think it's because they watch that shit on TV. I really do. I think that was a massive point of difference. Um, I wasn't subject to that. I didn't listen to it every day, you know. Um, and, you know, so I try to encourage people to um, go inwards more, to... Uh, get rid of the distractions, get rid of all that noise and clutter that is first world and uh, spend time. And yes, sometimes it's uncomfortable. You know, things come up that you don't particularly like. Um, but also it's where the magic happens, you know. It's where you learn the most about yourself and it's where you can really see what are your values and uh, play the game of, of um, playing that movie in your head of what if my life was and, and really like get creative and get um, no, no limits, no boundaries. If you could paint that picture perfect world and then look at, well, what would I have to do to become that? What needs to change? What do I have to ditch? What do I have to 
adapt and adopt and you know um yeah i i these are the things that i try to uh impart with everybody is to just uh, challenge them to go without this for a day a couple of hours half a day and you know you see the reaction on people's face when you suggest that it's like oh no (laughs) you can see them thinking shit could i do that (laughs) well absolutely it's like an addiction I too am a non-conformist. I didn't conform either. Um, I too lost both careers in one week as a hair and makeup artist in film and television. That was taken away and as a speaker. So public public spaces and faces, boom, gone, you know. And I reinvented myself and I I'd started working as a carer just before that. And that was, so I, I, I was driving out, I was going out. I didn't change my life in the slightest. I just zigzagged looked after people, you know, went out, did the shops. I'd already got used to it. I was already wearing a mask before masks were mandatory. Thought that was dumb too. Um, and uh, I too did the same. And I don't listen to the news either. Um, and I haven't done for a very, very, very long time. I don't have the radio on. Uh, the only time I would have friends if something serious was happening, like, hey, Susie, your borders have just been closed. Um, I'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> it would be my friends that would actually send me a message because they all know I don't listen to the news. Um, so I have no idea what yes. when you don't. You're not addicted to listening to the doom and gloom, which was very manipulative around that that period. And having worked in television for 40 years, I know how manipulative it can be. Uh, and yeah. I, the, the, they tell lies and, it's, and it was all so negative. And so I've the... had that... Um, that kind of, I like to say, fell down the rabbit hole of listening to the negativity and it really hurt uh, psychologically. And I'm, I'm uh, like, what's going on? You know, do, do you tell me what's going on and I'll hear it from you because that's more powerful to me but not listening to the radio. Uh, and it, it was uh, like a, going through that period just like you. It was like, oh, well, I'm just going to do what I do and I'm going yeah. to drive up. It was great. There was no traffic on the road. Like, I know. And I've had people saying, oh, you know, that they didn't have the jab. And I'm like, yeah, well, when I was 12, I was a conscientious objector about having the German measles injection at school. So this is who I've been my whole life, really. I've always been a non-former. Yeah. So you've changed that. Oh, that's really good. I've been with like this since I was a kid. My parents had to deal with me, you know, going, no, nah, I'm not yeah. I'm having a jab with everybody else. No, I don't agree with that. I don't feel comfortable. And like you said, trusting your instincts. Uh, and I think a lot of people don't realise, especially um, with having the doom and gloom on all the time, the harm they can do to their children, having this constant negativity in their house um, and, the, the, and the energy that it brings and the vibration that it brings into your house, you know. Uh, when none mm-hmm. happened um, and there's people that had it on all the time, 24-7, around toddlers, their toddlers have grown up to need psychological help, you know. Uh, not mm. all, but many, you know, my, I have a 21 year old and he was working at a radio station when he was 17 and he had to leave because he was not raised with the news, you see. So every half an hour it was doom and gloom, doom and gloom. And he would say to him, mum, people are talking a different way. The older people are talking in a different way. It's really, it's really heavy. The vibe here. I just, I can't really handle yeah. And instead of going, see you tomorrow, they'd be going, be safe. And Jack's going, yeah, of course I'm going to be safe, you know. Uh, he, had a, he, <laughs> he had a struggle with it so much that he had to leave. It it caused so much um, stress 
in his life, listening to that constant all the time because he was in the radio station. It was just bang. It was there seeping into his pores that he needed to get away from it. And people who have done it for years, they just don't realise the bad effect that can have on their psyche. So I love and said nothing. Mm -hmm. I love that you do the same thing and that you're a non-conformist person too because we have to trust our gut instincts, don't we? And you obviously trust Yeah, totally. Kellyville is a long way from the ocean. For anybody that doesn't know, Kellyville is the western suburbs of Sydney. When I used to wag school, it used to take me, you know, an hour and a half to get to the beach um, from the western <laughs> Sydney on public transport. So it's a long way. And I know there's bigger roads there now and they're a little bit faster, but still a long way from the ocean. So where did you build your boat? Was it in your back garden or did you, was there somewhere a boat? No, it was actually built in um, Queensland. And so I used to have to fly out every, pretty much every other weekend without fail, I'd get a, get a flight and spend the, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday up there uh, working on the boat. Um, and then, yeah, the final stages of, uh, you know, training and stuff, that was all done here in Sydney. So, you know, I brought the boat down once it was completed and I did all my rowing in um, around Pitwater and the Spit, around Clontar. Oh, it was beautiful. I used to treat it as my Sydney weekender, you know. I'd go on board and spend uh, pretty much Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday on board and then get off to come to work for, you know, uh, fill those work days up because I worked for myself. So that was the other thing was um, I ran my own diary. And, you know, if I had worked in that Monday, Friday, nine to five, then I couldn't have done what I did because they wouldn't have given me the time off that I required. So because I managed my own diary, I used to just fill up those days and then, um, yeah, just row around Sydney, spend time on the boat, get to know where everything was. So, you know, imagine scenarios of being upside down, capsized, everything's gone black and just grabbing things. Okay, where's your head torch? Boom. Okay, where's your signaling mirror? Got it. Where's your grab bag? Got it. You know, so I used to play these games with myself, pretending I was upside down and I couldn't see a thing. And, you know, um, so that, you know, that was my prep, my preparation. And then there was other things that you can't practice for and you can't mimic and mock. So um things like um being in a cyclone and deploying your sea anchor or your drogue you know the storm strategies that we have so when you get out there no matter how prepared you think you are or you know you've ticked all these drills and all these boxes and stuff there's so many things that you're still in a world of first and uh, you know like my first cyclone was actually in the Pacific. So I got through 68 days across the Atlantic and didn't have to deploy any um, storm strategies at all. Whereas in the um, uh, Pacific, I had five hurricanes, four cyclones, and I got very good at putting it in and putting it out and, you know, uh, deploying and retrieving. Um, and every time you do it, you know, your confidence grows. Like I remember the first time I had to deploy it, I went through it in my head. I laid it all out on the deck, made sure the shackles are secured, made sure that, you know, um, nothing was going to get tangled and everything else was stowed and stored. You know, my seat was tied down, my oars were lashed to the deck and, you know, I had enough water to be locked up in my cabin for days. You know, you've got to prep, you've got to think ahead um, for, you know, you can't get out on deck because it's too rough. You can't make water because you you got too much cloud cover, so you're not getting enough amps pumped into the batteries for you to run your electric water maker, which costs a lot in power. Um, so you're just constantly ticking boxes and going through these little checklists 
Um, but you know, the first time I threw that drogue out and I didn't know what I was doing. I've seen it. Yeah. I've watched it on YouTube and you know, I had it all planned in my head and as soon as I put it out and the boat just settled and, you know, pulls you it? into the drone. So a, a drogue is a, say a hundred meters of line with 30 small cones spliced into the line, little, um, canvas cones. And it basically just creates drag. So uh, when you throw it in off the bow, it just settles your boat and holds it so that it's facing into the waves. So the waves break straight over you. And rather than you being beam on and being hit from the side, because that's when you're at high risk of capsizing. So you want to always have your bow into the conditions. Yeah. And that's what the drogue does. It just held me straight in. And it was like, it just felt so calm and so stable and I never came close to capsizing. So, you know, I just thought I'm not going to be a hero here and, and try and row through the storms. And, you know, I was very uh, conservative in those, you know, whenever I felt like, man, if I was side on to this, I'd probably go over. I just put the drogue out because I didn't want the stress and the strain on my vessel of the capsize and you've got fittings and fixtures, you've got aerials. Um, so you try to eliminate, or I tried to el eliminate those risks, uh, because at the end of the day, if anything breaks, I've got to fix it. And I actually had a limited amount of knowledge with electricals, you know, electrics were always going to be my weak spot. Um, so I did whatever I could to protect them. You know, everything for me was prevention is better than cure. You still would have had to have learned about because I was going to ask you. You wouldn't have been able. You can't carry water. You'd have to be able to make water. Do you make the water from from rainwater or from the sea? Like, is it some sort of recycling thing? And you'd have to learn. Yeah, know about that. You'd have to learn about your sat nav system. You have to. You'd have to learn. So you've gone from a massage therapist because you know I used to do that to doing all this technical stuff. You know, and technical stuff is sometimes a little bit. Uh, so yeah. I, I visualize you there and I'd, I've seen, and it's not like you can tip, it's not like a, a kayak, you know, I used to kayak a lot. It's not like you can tip yourself back up again and, you know, pick up a few things that have fallen out of it. You capsize, you're stuffed, you know. So how do you do, how do you make water on a boat? Um, so I had an electric water maker on board. So um, basically a big straw that goes through a fitting in the hull in down into the ocean and it sucks it up. So it's got a pump that sucks the water up through a series of membranes. And then it spits out the, the um, uh, desalt water into a container and the brine goes back into the sea. So I could make about four and a half, five liters an hour, but oh. it cost four amps. So, you know, you basically you just turn it on with a switch and, but it costs four amps of, no. of power. And uh, on cloudy days, or if I had uh, consecutive cloudy days, I wouldn't generate enough power into the batteries to operate it. So I had a handheld as well, a handheld water maker, which I was the pump, basically. You'd have a big arm and you'd just be levering and, and pumping away. So uh, at the end of an 11 hour rowing shift, I would have to supplement my water by hand pumping my water. Uh, not the nicest way to finish a shift, but you know, it's, um, water is your number one and then it could also be the be all and end all you know if, if those water makers broke and i could not revive them couldn't fix them 
uh, that could mean uh, mayday. That that could really mean that you've got to put your hand up and say, I'm done because, you know, without water we die. You know, we dehydrate very quickly out there and uh, you go downhill very quick when you dehydrate. So water was number one. Um, and if it meant taking a couple of hours off the oars to pump, that's what I had to do. And you would, I imagine you would have to know about tides as well um, and how the ocean works so that, you know, because I imagined you, you know, if you, you crash out and you go to sleep at night, there'd have to be something happening within the boat for you not to be drifting back the way you'd rode. Otherwise, that'd really suck, you know. You'd have to make sure you're still going in the right direction so that you can trust that you can actually have a snooze. And after rowing for all that all that time, um, my next question to that is, did you, apart from, I saw that you have like freeze-dried food like an astronaut, do you, um, do you have like supplements? Is the food like heavily protein laden um, for your muscles? How, what sort of soap? Yeah, there you go. I'll stop there. I'll let you answer all that. It's fascinating. Yeah, um, like, Michelle. yeah, yeah, it is. It is fascinating. I appreciate totally. Um, people just have, they can't fathom how you survive out there on something so small. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, my meals were dehydrated. I got, uh, most of mine were meat uh, for the protein. Uh, you know, I had teriyaki beef, um, uh, Moroccan pork with couscous. Uh, I had spaghetti bolognese, uh, beef teriyaki, beef and black bean, uh, uh, green curry chicken. Like, yeah, it's you like um, add water quite, and a quite gourmet. Yeah, yeah you basically I'm just boil it. the water. I'm... Yes, yeah, I... boil, boil your water, add 300 mils, give it a stir, and then just eat mush from bag. You know, that's kind of how it is. But like it's tasty, and I had it better. Had it like those cup of soup things, but much better. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, then, of course, you've got protein powder. I had supplements, uh, hydration powders, energy gels, and, and you know, a, a nice stash of chocolate, muesli bars, jars of Nutella, peanut butter, uh, Uncle Toby's oat. Um, so you have a lot of that. But I actually underestimated the need, and uh, I ran out of my last chocolate bar by day 180, all gone. No more chocolate muesli bars, no more peanut butter, Nutella, everything gone. All as I had was protein powder and dehydrated meals. So I was having like um, lamb casserole for breakfast. You would have had to have, um, I imagine <laughs> you have like a, a nutritionist that you worked with to work out the right amount of, of meals and the right amount of calories for you to actually survive. So you had the the right amount of everything going into your body because your body's obviously, um, it's a tool that you're using and you have to fuel your body. You would have had to fuel your body really correctly and been really aware of all that uh, before you jumped in the water. Yeah, I used um, the million metre. I did a world record um, in the, before the Atlantic. So because I was not a rower, I had to learn how to row. So I did the world record uh, which meant in the training program, A, it taught me how to row, B, it got my body prepared for long-distance stamina endurance. So, you know, your body has to go through adaptations to become, you know, you're either a sprinter or you're the long-distance stamina endurance Clyde horse kind of body. Well, I was more the sprinter. So I went through the, the program to do the million metre to tick all these other boxes and plus to um, build some kind of a profile to gain credibility because you're asking for sponsors to come in and, and uh, help out. 
And they say, well, who are you and what have you done? So I was nobody and I had done nothing. So I thought I better go and do this world record. And uh, in that six month pro program, that's where I also learned my, my nutritional needs. So I knew that I had to eat about five and a half thousand calories per day. And I had to have, uh, about 40 grams of carbohydrates every, um, three hours. I knew that I had to have 500 mils of liquid every hour and, uh, an extra hundred mils for every degree above 22 degrees. So it was very technical, very scientific. Um, and you know, thanks to the million meter, the world record that I went for, I learned so much about nutrition and the importance of, of keeping the calorie intake because, you know, you hit a wall and it's very hard to come back when you go into a deficit, uh, particularly in these events, because you're not having rest and recovery. You are rowing every single day, 11 to 12 hours. Like that's, that's just what your job is out there. So, um, yeah, thanks to the world record, I learned loads about my requirements and I just stuck to that. It worked then. So I just, and I probably ate a little bit more, uh, while I was actually rowing on out in the elements. Um, so I would have been eating between five and a half and six and a half thousand calories per day. And you still lose 19 kilos. It's a great weight loss program, girls. Sign up. Very lean and fit at the same time. And you'd be very lean <laughs> going in as well. So did you? No, I put on, I put on 10 kilos. So intentionally I, I put on, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good idea, isn't it? Because if you were too lean um, and you lost all that weight, you, you'd you be weak. Your yeah, because your body eats muscle. It, it'll go to muscle for fuel. So yeah. um, that's why I put on the extra so that I could maintain my muscle mass for as long as possible. Yeah. I'm going to ask the question now, toileting. So how do you go to the toilet? How do you do a wee and how do you do a poo and what happens with it? And I would imagine because you were so regimented with um when you ate when you drank and all that it was all part of the process of rowing you'd row for a certain amount you'd break you'd do your things that um your body would also be working uh quite like a machine was it yeah yeah absolutely like a well-oiled machine yeah. um yeah, yeah clockwork yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm clockwork i was yeah uh the toilet is a bucket and chuck it uh it was my most favorite piece of equipment because it didn't require electricity it had it didn't have anything mechanical, couldn't break. Um, so they yeah, the solid old, bucket, not a plastic one. Yeah, I I sampled. You know, there I was in uh, Bunnings sampling all the buckets uh, on on option on <laughs> and you know normal right in the middle of the aisle to be sitting <laughs> on it, putting a little bit of weight through it. Ah oh, no, that one's too flimsy. Ah oh, no, that one's too sharp around the rim. Ah oh, no, ah this one's just right. <laughs> Uh, I did did do the sampling pre and um, and then you treat your bucket like gold because you don't want to lose him overboard. So you tie him off with a lanyard uh, onto the boat so that if you do let it go, you retrieve it. Um, so yeah, bucket and chuck it. And yeah, I have no digestive issues ever. I always say I've got a cast iron stomach, you know, like I can eat anything and um, I'm very robust. I, I, I pride myself on that. So, uh, the fact that I was living off packet foods, you know, I had nothing fresh for eight months. It was all packet food. Uh, and I still had no digestive issues ever. I went to the toilet every day, never, ever was a constipated, never did I get the runs, nothing. So, 
um, thank you. Again, I praise my body. I Every day I used to say thank you. And, and like with the real genuine sincerity and meaning, I used to say thank you so much, body, for letting me do this every day. You let me hammer you, uh, you know, 10 or 12 hours a day, day in, day out, without rest. And I was never injured, never sore. I had no sprains or strains. No, uh, you know, the typical things that rowers will suffer are um, uh, blisters and torn calluses, sores on their bottom, friction sores, chafing from, you know, just doing this action over and over. So the the lines or the seams of their clothes will chafe. Um, They will suffer with scalding burns, from hot water as they pour their water from the canister. Um, so I sort of looked at all the things that do commonly go wrong. Uh, they get ITB syndrome, they have lower back pain. Um, and I thought, how can I prevent all of that? And it was in my preparation. So my um, Tony, who wrote my program in, in like on land, my gym-based program, he nailed it. It was A1. And uh, he got me, you know, hanging, doing a lot of like static hanging. You know, he said, go climb a, go join a climbing bridge, uh, climbing gym and start climbing and just get used to being loading up all these tendons, overload them so much. So that when you're now rowing and just gripping the oar, it's nothing. That load will be nothing compared to hauling your fat ass up a wall, you know. So I did all these. Yes, isn't it? And toughening your Getting Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, we did all these non-conventional things uh, in the lead up to, and, um, you know, if I was going to do another ocean, I wouldn't change a thing. In in my prep, I wouldn't change a thing. I'd do it all again because it was absolutely perfect. And again, thank you for letting me do this. That was important to me. Every day I'd get in my cabin at the end of the day and I would say, body, what do you need from me today? And I'd take a moment. And it would respond. Can you just release through the elbow? Can you just rub my left Achilles? Can you just release that little bit there in my shoulder blade? Lay on a ball. You know, I had a, a series of balls, tennis balls and golf balls and bands as my rehab in my cabin. So I would just attend to it every day. And again, my motto was prevention is better than cure. And it worked, you know, like um, this is what I also say, just uh, raise your conscious awareness of what is going on, right? You know better than anybody. And uh, you can go and sit in front of a doctor and say, it feels like this, this, and this. Well, I'm sorry, you know better than he does. And uh, if you take the time out and you put the trust in what's going on and how you, you know, if you were honest about, we all know what we need, right? We all know if we need more hydration. We know if we need to up our nutrition. We know if we need to cut out the drink, the alcohol, the the booze, the junk, the cigarettes. And if you just honour that, man, everything just ticks over nicely. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It would have taken a lot of um, determination. You're obviously a very determined woman and a lot of um, laser focus to be focused on everything that is involved in you jumping in the ocean by yourself, you know. And you also would have had um, in sport, because this is sport, um, women are never, never, never as supported as men. 
Um, how did you find getting your support? I imagine, you know, because it's all imagining, you know, but now I'm learning so much more. You would have had to have a team or a person on land that was paying attention to where you were at any one time, you know. I would, I would, you know, for them to go and sleep for eight hours and in that eight-hour period of time for something crap to happen to you, you know, that that was obviously not an option. So you would have had to have had someone on land that you really trusted that had your back if anything went on. So did you have a, how did you, how did you get around all that? I, I keep coming back yeah. to that. A massage therapist who's really fit, who did triathlons, to this amazing world champion who learned all this different stuff way out of your comfort zone. Um, you would have had to have found everything and everybody that you needed, researched it all. Yeah. I'm just like in awe of the determination. I'm a pretty determined person myself, and you, like my my, my new friend Michelle, <laughs> um, and it's so inspiring to yeah. just. She just matter-of-factly, oh, yeah, I did this and I did this and it. But when you nut it down, the 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 focus and the determination and the mindset that you had to continue to move forward. And obviously, yeah, you were interested in what you were doing, but you would have had to have learned so much and trusted uh, that everything was absolutely right. It's just, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. When you go behind the scenes um, of of this all coming together. It is a collaboration of very carefully selected, very small crew on the ground. And I, I chose all of them personally. I picked up the phone. They didn't know me from a bar of soap. I chose them for their expertise, for their credentials, what they'd done in the past. And I made the call and just, you know, I said, I'm Michelle Lee. I'm about to row across the Pacific Ocean. And, uh, you know, for my weather router, he was the most important man in my life. And if I was only allowed to make one phone call and speak to one person, it would have been to Roger. Um, so he was my ears and my eyes of, of, you know, what direction to row today based on currents, based on wind, based on what was coming. Um, so I basically just did whatever Roger told me. And uh, <laughs> that's a new, new experience being told what to do. Um, but Roger was a major piece of uh, the ground support and um, then also a small handful of friends who they all knew when I'd call you and they couldn't call me. I I had to call them, but they all knew, don't tell me one piece of news item. I don't want to news, know yeah. any headlines. I don't want to know any deaths, births or marriages, nothing. So, um, you know, and they were like part of my morale boosting, um, you know, and different people serve different purposes as well. Like when you needed to be boosted, there were certain people I knew not to speak to. Um, they'd rather see me just get airlifted and saved and let, you know, this, you can let this all be over in a jiffy. If you just put your hand up, we can get you the help, you know, you can be airlifted out of there or, or you know, wait for the commercial vessel to come by to collect you. And then there's other people that are just like, no, fuck no, pull your head out of your ass get out there on deck and do what you wanted to do. Like, you know, you so you sort of chose who you needed to talk to for what purpose because everybody's got such different personalities and, um, you know, they, they read things very differently. So I relied on those a lot, um, but they were a very small circle of people whom I contacted and, yeah, I lost people on the way as well. So in my preparation, because of my lack of compliance, I actually had my first doctor that I chose and my first safety officer. Now I chose them very carefully, very consciously. 
and with a lot of intention for who they were, what they've done and, you know, their regard throughout industry, et cetera. And they both pulled the pin very close to my start line because I refused to get the jab. So, you know, these were things that, uh, you know, that little red carpet getting pulled from underneath you. And I thought, okay, we're not in alignment with each other. So it's a natural falling away of, you know, and you, you've just got to surrender to it and accept it and go, okay, right, dust yourself off, move on, find somebody else, you know, um, they just weren't the right fit in the puzzle. So a lot of this stuff happened on the way, but again, I think it was all essential as the journey because that is also resilient building, you know, um, every time you overcome. And that's what I got out of the book. Remember I read Real Savage, everything that went wrong and she triumphed. Um, that's her raising the bar and the ceiling every time you have a yes moment. And I feel it was necessary for me to go through that. Because then in the moments of struggle, when you're out there, it's um, those moments that you can recall and you say, well, hang on, I, I know that I'm resilient. I know that I I can weave my way under over uh, these obstacles. And um, yeah, it was essential. But my, my support crew, you can't underestimate what they did. And I would, would not have made it without them. So... To say it was solo and unassisted seems um, incorrect to me because what they did for me while I was out there and even in the lead up to like my boat builder, Joe, you know, he let me just come and go from the workshop. He was always there to guide me when I had to make another hole in the boat, you know, drill something, take something off, put something on. Joe was so patient with me, you know, sometimes he'd have to convince me that this is a better way, Michelle. I'm like, yeah, but you're putting another hole in my boat, you know, uh, and he was always right. Um, but, you know, it's it's these people who uh, come along for the journey and um, believe in you that you rely on when you're out there, when your self-belief might be slipping a little bit and you just have to make that call to the right person and you're like, all right, thanks. I needed to hear that, you know. So you, you just can never underestimate your support team. Did you use, um, um, did you, your support team, was it mainly uh, you trusted on those down days that you may have had the people that had been in the industry that were there to support you? Did you, because sometimes we have friends that have known us for a long time and they too, we can reach out to them because you mentioned friends and I wondered if, um, but then sometimes our friends just want to save us. So we do know the ones that are like, no, no, I'm sitting here crying in the bath now. I just need you, you know, don't tell me to quit because I'm not going to quit. I just need you. And they know you well enough to not have the quit talk with you because they know you're not a quitter. Um, oh, yeah. Did you lose any personal friends along the way? Uh, did anybody ever cross the line with you? No, no. So by now at this stage in my life, um, and, and my circle is quite small anyway. Um, yeah, no, they, they now know me well enough and um, it's that mutual understanding. Um, so, no, nah, I've got it all sorted now by, by 50 <laughs> and, and, you know, several expeditions are thrown down the track. Um, I've, I've gotten a little team and, and I sort of know these ones will have my back no matter what I choose to do. They will always be on my journey with me. You know what I mean? And so, your tribe. It's your tribe. Yes, my tribe. Yeah. 
yeah. we have we have our tribe with us and it's it's not often it's not always the people that we think like it's not always girlfriends uh you know or friends along the way it's people that we pick up the big that uh simpatico with us with our, our life journey that you've found and you found your tribe that are going to always be there for you um and lift you up when needed or that you can lift up when it's needed as well you know and during what you do that's like it's so incredibly important um that i read something um there was um something about day 46 that you've said that was your worst day ever would you like to tell us about that day yeah on the atlantic in my diary i wrote worst day ever exclamation mark you know and uh, it was a day where uh, everything felt like it was everything, just little things were starting to pile up. And, you know, I'd, I'd had uh, my foot steering fell apart. I had to rebuild my foot steering. I had an earache. I had a toothache. I also discovered that I'd run out of my Nutella. My Nutella stash came to an end on day 46. The addictive um, That's that would be sad. And, you know, it just felt like, and the wind was howling for days. And that is actually quite unnerving, unnerving and very unsettling. And um, it just felt like everything on this day had just, oh, you know, one more thing, just one tiny thing had to happen. And I was a basket case. I lost my shit that day. Um, and it wasn't until the next day, you know, you, you get through it and you wake up. Yes, the sun comes out. I always say, Tomorrow is another chance to get it right. That's that's my say. I say that every night before I go to bed. Tell my flatmate, and tomorrow is another day to get it right, another chance. So I uh, had that talk with myself and I realized that it wasn't really that bad, right? I was being a drama queen and something didn't feel right all day, something really unsettling in my gut. And I'm like, what is this? What's going on? When I reread my diary or I went to do my diary entry for day 47, I looked at day 46 and that worst day ever, that's when I thought I've got to get rid of it. I, this is how, how powerful your words are and your language. And I had to scribble it out because I thought it wasn't your worst day ever. Like that's been a drama queen and you were just being a bit over the top. You know, you need to get over yourself. As soon as I scrubbed that out, calm, peace, you know, settlement uh, came over me. So um, you're just constantly learning things, life lessons like that and um, how important your not only spoken word is but your written word and the vibration. It's a vibration, what it gives off. And then actually on um, the Pacific Road, my listening material, it, I had the book um, The Hidden Messages in Water by Masaru Emoto, Masaru Emoto, a Japanese guy who studied the vibration of water when exposed to words. So he literally did, does, and you can see the crystals and he um, and photographs what crystal formation and any, word, any um, water vessel that was exposed to hate words, um, anger, rage, whatever, formed revolting, broken crystals. Anything with vibrations of joy, gratitude, appreciation were the most beautiful shape love and they were um consistent absolutely consistent so i ha was listening to that while i'm rowing while i'm surrounded by water you know our bodies are 70 or 80 percent water i'm in a body of water the world's biggest body of water 
listening to this, I'm just goose bumping from head to toe constantly. Got to hear that again. Got to, you know, I'm hitting replay, replay. Um, and it's, again, it's these little things that just uh, help raise your own conscious awareness. So we are constantly evolving and changing and uh, we, we've got opportunity to grow all the time. So, you know, I don't get it right all the time. I don't get it right every day. And there's, you know, that's the thing. The beauty of it is tomorrow is another chance. This opportunity comes every single rising of the sun. We have an opportunity to step up and do better than yesterday, you know, and don't beat yourself up and, you know, talk yourself down. You just go, okay, well, I can do better than I did yesterday. Oh, that's great. That's such, such good, uh, such good advice. Such good advice, such good motivation. I love that. I'm going to write that down as my mantra. Did you have mantras like apart from that? Like when you woke up? Yeah. And, yeah. Do you have like, did you have like mindset mantras if you're having a moment to psych yourself out and psych yourself back in? Or, you know, I saw that, um, you know, I've seen photos of, you know, your hands and one of the chips got really calloused and split open and that hurt. I have my fingers split open sometimes and that hurts. So, um, you know, never mind, you know, having to row with these split hands and calluses. You must have had a certain amount of um, pain sometimes in your hands that you would have to tell your body to not feel um, and certain mantras that kept you going. Yeah. Um, the I always used to wonder before I started really pushing boundaries, does the mind rule the body or the body rule the mind? And those moments of, yes, my hands were uh, quite shredded open on the Atlantic row. Every time I gripped the oars after a break, uh, I would like grit my teeth. Like, you know, uh, those initial contact was always so painful. Um, and so I said there and then I realized, thanks for showing me. I wondered, now you're really showing me. Yes, I know that the mind rules the body. So in those moments I could have given up because it hurt so much, it really did. But my mind was like, don't you dare, you know? And that's why I think we need the struggle as well because the struggle is, you know, to get to the start line is what gives you that real mongrel when things are getting tough out there and, you know, you're going to have some tough days. So you rely on um, all of those triumphs in the lead up to get you over those uh, difficult times and those moments of despair or overwhelm or uh, when things just feel like everything's piling up on you, you remind yourself, you know, come on, you can do this. You, you've, you've overcome this, this. And bank them, put them in a little bank so that you can remind yourself and use it as your positive self-talk uh, in those moments. But you know, little mantras, um, my, mine is don't die wondering. Um, you know, just say yes and don't die wondering. Um, but every morning I would, every morning wake up saying, I'd open my hat and I would just shout out, good morning, morning. You know, so um, just start on that nice, happy, upbeat, no matter what you're feeling. Um, and there were mornings when I would prefer to have stayed in bed and not got up at, you know, the crack of dawn. But uh, yeah, just start with that nice, positive, good morning, morning, and, and of a night time. Gratitude. Thank you, body. Thank you, universe. Thanks for today. Thanks for giving me a wind or a current that was favorable. Thanks for giving me that pod of dolphins or, you know, there's something you can find gratitude in every day. There's with thank you for this cup of tea. Oh my God, I do this every day. My poor flatmate has to hear me every day. I have a cup of tea and it's like, oh, 
that's a good cup of tea, right? <laughs> but it's genuine. I, I seriously mean it. But my poor flatmate has to hear me do that every day. It can be as simple as a cup of tea. That's that's my point. Is you know we can find joy, gratitude, and and whatnot in in stuff that we do daily, and that's just a perfect way to uh, start and finish your day in a vibration of joy, gratitude, love, appreciation. And uh, the the challenge is to hold that for the day. You know. Oh yes, absolutely, absolutely. I love. Um... Uh, so I too start my day every day going outside and thanking the universe for a beautiful day and thanking the universe and being grateful for who I am and where I am and, you know, that I'm strong and fit and that everything is going well. And um, I think that's key um, as we are in life to being grateful and to, you know, they say that as I've seen this chart of um, vibrations, you know, and when your joy and love and happiness is like a high vibration. Um, and uh, the lower vibrations and when we're unhappy and, and, you know, and negative and joy is always a positive vibration. Uh, yeah, and I- you've got to replace like guilt, shame, rage, anger, hate. They're the ones that you need to, when you're feeling you're experiencing those, try to switch it straight away. Try and think of those moments, relive a moment where you were in joy, love, peace, you know, um, gratitude, appreciation. And, you know, this is what the challenge is of it throughout your day because people come in and out of your life, you know, that annoy you or tick you off or, you know, um, and it's it's looking at that as an opportunity. This is what I do. I just think, okay, well, here's an opportunity for me to uh, step out of that as quickly as I can, you know? Well, absolutely, absolutely. I think when you... If you're a person that um, is in a low vibrating place, uh, it can cause sickness and illness in the body. If you're constantly, uh, if you let yourself be stressed, if you let yourself, um, often I think people, they get affected by others, other people's attitudes or other people's words to them. And it's kind of, you have to stop yourself like you said. And it's like, well, that's actually, it's not my opinion. That's, that's how you, that's how you're feeling and you're projecting that onto me and it's, actually got nothing to do with me. This is your vibe. So you take your vibe. I'll take my happy joy, joy self, and I'll just go wandering on my way. And I won't ignore you. I'll acknowledge that, you know, this is how you feel right now, but I'm going to leave it with you. Uh, And you can keep that to yourself or you can have my bit of my joy and that might, you know, help you elevate. Um, And uh, you're quite right, it does. It makes a a huge difference. I think sometimes we have have people around us that are close to us in our family lives that are low vibrating people, um, sometimes uh, they can bring us down uh, and we have to be really aware of of that. And uh, like they say, good cull- I'm a fan of culling every now and again. You cull yeah. um, or you remove them from your life and if they're really close to you and they're vibrating low all the time and it's actually affecting you as a person, are they they need to go. And it's kind of what yeah. the main reason why I divorced my husband. Well, because he was vibrating low every single day. And it didn't matter what yeah. I actually try and raise his vibration, didn't matter what I achieved, anything, he just stayed low. And he uh, and he was happy uh, being that person. It was like, I'm just not happy. The vibe in our house is bad, mate. You know. Is it us anymore? Because the, the house is full of your negativity and you're not moving forward. So now my life, 
it's full of positivity and it's, you know, it's full of me and my joy and, and, and who I want to be. Uh, and it's important, I think, that we sometimes have to make those big decisions, especially when we get older, to choose us, to choose what we were to do. You made the choice to choose you and to choose what you wanted to do. And that's amazing. And you've obviously done a lot for yourself. And I'm sure everybody that listens to you feels incredibly uplifted and joyous and determined um, and wanting to maybe not jump in the water, but certainly go and, and achieve the things that they need to achieve in life because you're so inspirational to listen to, uh, which is amazing. Um, so I thank you. Uh, mm, thank you. They're talking about today. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? Um, oh, yeah, that's what I want to ask you about. Um, you mentioned dolphins and whale, whales and stuff. You must have seen some amazing um, aquatic life out there on your journey and been at one with whales and with dolphins. That must have been just gobsmacking to experience. Yeah, I'd say, and that is the privilege of what I have done because people will never know it in their lifetime. Do you know what I mean? Like um, the sense of awe in seeing a pot of dolphins or um, just the fish swimming under your boat and everybody swimming in harmony together with each other until the sun goes down, right? <laughs> then all hell breaks loose. Um, but, you know, when the turtle turns up and it's like everything that was under my boat would come rushing out. It was like they just rolled the red carpet out. Boys, the turtle's in town, you know, and they'd all come and gather around the turtle. I realised what they're doing is they're all, you know, cleaning his back and whatnot and, and eating their barnacles off him. But it was literally like I'm witnessing this rock star that's rolled up and everybody has to come out and greet him. And, uh, you know, it was like they're in the mosh pit with him. And, you know, that's like, I have all these, these stories going on in my head, what was going on there. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, like full moons, uh, uninterrupted rainbows from, from end to end and uh, the sky, the night sky, like, I, I would open my cabin and look up and just go, oh, oh wow. I had so many oh, wow moments um, over and over again. Um, like, so my tips for everybody is to find awe in your day. Have some awe. It's just, I, I reckon that's healing, man. That's like healing vibrations, you know. Um, and to, you know, use visualization, uh, use this to get you well as well you know I, I had nothing else to rely on um I, I had to have a trust and a knowing that I have the power to create either good vibe good vibes bad vibes health wellness illness you have the power to create all of those um so yeah I love to encourage people to challenge that try it change your vibration change your attitude change your life Thank you, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. I really, really appreciate it. It's been an absolute joy meeting you and listening to your story. I could listen to you for hours and hours and hours. It's been amazing. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so, I'm so humbled that you've shared the journey with me, and really, really stoked to, um, to have spoken with you. Thank you so very much. Thank you, and thanks, uh, Ray, for the connection, and uh, thanks to your audience as well. Much appreciated. See you, Thank you.